This podcast is a presentation of UCTV.TV, University of California Television. Like what you learn? Help others discover UCTV podcasts by leaving a comment or rating in iTunes. I'm going to be sharing with you some experimental and quantitative studies on this topic, but the bulk of my talk will actually be on qualitative studies that I've been conducting over the past year to really better understand these experiences. I thought I would start off today by sharing a few photos with you. So I, uh, last year I conducted a community-based participatory research study uh, in San Francisco. And we, this study asked low-income families to use photography to document things that affect their family's ability to eat healthy food and that impact on their health. And so these were photos taken from participants. The photo on the top left, the mother said that she felt she was caged by the high price of fruits and vegetables. The photo on the bottom left is a picture of a boy in front of a typical American meal. Um, but the mother said, every time we go out to eat, my son always orders a burger and fries. Um, it doesn't happen much, but when we do, it gives us a sense of normalcy, that we're not that different from other families. The photo on the bottom right, the mother said, this is my super bear fridge. Seeing my son's sad face when he says there's nothing to eat is heartbreaking. And the photo on the top right was just captioned, lunch. So today I thought I would start off by highlighting some background on this topic, introducing the idea that food insecurity is a form of chronic stress, and then talking about the experiences of food insecurity stress from families as well as college students. So let me just set the stage. I know many of us are familiar with the idea of food insecurity. But food insecurity is the phenomenon that occurs when a household doesn't have enough money or other resources to provide food for all of the members of its household. It's a continuum that progresses from simply having anxiety that the food would run out to adults reducing the quality and the quantity of the food consumed. And in the most extreme cases, children's food quality and quantity is also reduced. Food insecurity has consequences across the life course, and this has been well documented in several studies. Starting in infancy, food insecurity has been associated with low birth weight and birth defects. In toddlers, food insecurity has been associated with anemia, asthma, behavior problems. In older children, poor academic performance and several unhealthy behaviors. In adolescence, it's been associated with multiple nutrient inadequacies, as well as poor mental health. In pregnant women, it's been associated with excessive gestational weight gain and gestational diabetes. And in adults, it's been associated with hypertension, diabetes, and poor disease management. More recently, my colleagues and I decided to look at food insecurity in relation to ideal cardiovascular health. So ideal cardiovascular health is defined by the American Heart Association as these seven factors, or ideal levels on these seven factors. So four of them are modifiable health behaviors, smoking, diet, BMI, and physical activity. And three of them are modifiable clinical factors, so blood pressure, total cholesterol, and fasting glucose. And so you can create a score from zero to seven based on how 
much you adhere to a healthy um, to healthy levels on these seven factors. And not surprisingly, the higher the score, the lower the risk of several chronic diseases, cancers, cardiovascular disease, and even all-cause mortality. So we conducted this study in NHANES, nationally representative uh, sample of low-income adults. And what we found was looking at the individual metrics. Um, food insecurity was associated with lower odds of ideal smoking, ideal BMI, ideal diet, and ideal physical activity. And the latter three associations were modified by sex, and so the ones that I'm showing you were the, one, were the group that had the stronger association. But for the group that I didn't show you, it was still trending in the same direction. We then put these um, ideal factors together, and we still found that food insecurity, we saw, we saw this very strong uh, graded association between food insecurity and clusters of ideal poor, poor ideal uh, cardiovascular health. So even after adjusting for sociodemographic and health characteristics, food insecurity was associated with lower odds on three or more, four or more, five or more, or six or more factors. And this is showing that food insecurity doesn't just affect diet or obesity. Food insecurity affects lots of other health behaviors, and all of these put together increase the risk of chronic disease for this already vulnerable population. So taking a step back, how does food insecurity impact health? A lot of researchers have been trying to answer this question, and there's been a several proposed mechanisms. One hypothesis is that food insecurity is a proxy for poverty, or low socioeconomic status. And while it's true that there's a correlation between food insecurity and being low income, it's not a perfect correlation. We see food insecurity at two, 300% of the federal poverty level. And we know that programs like SNAP or other income assistance programs, they help with food insecurity, but they don't magically make it go away. Another explanation is that maybe food insecure individuals live in food deserts, that they just don't have good access to healthy food. And while this is certainly true for some communities, some individuals, it doesn't completely represent the problem. And as you've seen with food deserts, if you open a supermarket there, it doesn't mean that everyone will magically shop there, and it doesn't erase food insecurity in that community. So that brings me to this mechanism of stress, which will be the, section, uh, the topic of my next section. So is it possible that food insecurity is a stressor? Well, there's several signs that point to this. And the biggest one is that the first question in the USDA measure for food insecurity asks about how often did you worry that your food would run out before you had money to buy more. And as you can see from this graph, 90 to 98% of food insecure households respond positively to this question, which means that this is a very pervasive issue, this anxiety, this stress, this worry that your food isn't going to last, not even that your food runs out, but just feeling that it might. So if food insecurity is a form of chronic stress, how does stress then impact disease? Now, I know there's many experts on this area um, in this room, so I'm not going to go into too much detail. But um, in this paper by Sheldon Cohen and colleagues, there are three mechanisms proposed. One is that stress changes your behaviors. When you're stressed, you're more likely to smoke, to eat unhealthy food, you're less likely to exercise, and that increases your risk of chronic disease. Another explanation is that stress changes, leads to lower medication adherence, and that increases your risk of chronic disease. 
But the third one is that stress activates the HPA axis in the brain. And this leads to a cascade of hormones that triggers the um, production of cortisol. And at the same time, uh, stress activates the SAM systems in the brain. And when the HPA axis and the SAM systems are repeatedly activated, this increases the risk of stress-related chronic diseases. So in 2013, um, Dr. Wendy Berry Mendez and I at UCSF conducted a quasi-experimental study of stress and food insecurity. We recruited women from the San Francisco Bay Area, um, half of which were food secure and half of which were food insecure. And within each group, we randomized them to social evaluation stress or control. And then we looked at their performance on cognitive tasks um, as well as behavioral tasks. And what we found was that just that baseline, food insecure women had higher levels of perceived stress and depressive symptoms, had higher levels of cortisol, and had lower levels of gratitude than food-secure women. We then looked at their cognitive task uh, performance, and we found that food-insecure women had poor inhibition control. They had higher rates of impulsivity and higher levels of food reinforcement when compared to food-secure women. And for the food-insecure women, there was actually no effect of the acute stressor, of the social evaluation stress, which suggests that food-insecure women are already carrying more on their shoulders. They're already more stressed out when they came into the lab. And perhaps they were so overburdened with this stress that this acute stressor in the lab didn't really have any impact on their performance on these measures. So this led me to my next project, which was really to better understand what is the stress of food insecurity? Are there unique aspects of stress specific to food insecurity that are separate from that of poverty or housing insecurity or economic insecurity or all these other things that are correlated with being food insecure? And so in this study, this was a qualitative study of 48 parent-child dyads from the San Francisco Bay Area who had all reported some experience of food insecurity in the past year. We decided to interview children and parents separately, and we framed this in the context of a lot of families are struggling to put food on the table. Tell me what it's like in your family. And when they talked about their experiences, we probed for certain emotions that they felt or experiences that they had and asked them to elaborate on those. And after this, we had all of our interviews professionally transcribed and checked for accuracy, and um, they, were, they were analyzed according to qualitative research methods. So just to tell you a little bit more about the sample, the median age of the parent was 37. We mostly had mothers in this study. We had a few fathers, but um, the mothers seemed to be the ones who were more aware of the household food budget. They were the ones who shopped for food and prepared food at home. It was a very racially and ethnically diverse sample, which is reflective of the San Francisco Bay Area. It was also a very low-income sample. We also asked them the 18-item food insecurity module, and we found that half of our families were very low food secure, so the most extreme form of food insecurity. And so across all of the parent interviews, we heard that food insecurity was incredibly stressful. Like one parent said, it's like juggling 10 plates at once and you can't drop any. But related to this stress, we heard a lot of other emotions related to the stress of food insecurity, one of which was feeling powerless. And this came in the context of feeling like they couldn't buy the foods that they wanted their children to eat, things that were too expensive or were out of reach, things like fruits and vegetables, chicken, or even fish. And this one participant said, 
We get tired of eating the same thing over and over, but what can I do? Canned chili and rice, sort of healthy, but it's something we eat all the time. Hot dogs, again, all this processed food. We don't have a choice. I have to buy what we can make the most out of, always the unhealthy stuff that we're stuck buying. We also heard a lot about alienation or feeling isolated. And for parents, they said they didn't want to go out and socialize with their friends because they didn't want their friends to understand, to see the economic situation they were in. But for the children, they also said, we can't invite our children's friends over to our house because we can't feed those extra mouths. We heard a lot of embarrassment and shame from these families. And this was interesting because it wasn't just with respect to this idea of food insecurity, but also to the coping strategies that we would hope that food insecure families use, like going to a food pantry or using SNAP benefits. We heard depression and sadness come up in a lot of the uh, parent interviews. And finally, guilt. Guilt that they weren't fulfilling their role as a parent adequately. So I have a few more quotes to share with you, um, and I'll let you read these to yourself. So next we looked at the children's interviews. And we interviewed children because we historically have always thought that children were shielded from food insecurity, that parents should go to whatever lengths that it took to protect their children and to make sure that their children always have enough to eat. But the emerging evidence is showing that children are actually very much aware of what's going on in the household and even have strategies to prevent food insecurity that maybe their parents weren't aware of. And we saw this in our study, too. So this was a seven-year-old girl. She said, when my mom doesn't have food or doesn't have money to get food, we would often go to my grandma's or my auntie's house to get some food every week. I feel kind of nervous because we have no food. Children were very much aware of the resources that their parents used to get food. This was a nine-year-old boy, and he said, we get money from my grandmother, my auntie, or we have this program and people donate money. And at the same time that parents expressed their own frustrations with food insecurity, children felt it too. But they also felt, they felt empathy for their parents. And so this was a 12-year-old boy, and he said, my mom doesn't have enough money for food. I wish I could have money to help her. So children are aware of food insecurity, but are they impacted the same way psychologically as parents are? And the answer is yes. I'm going to show um, a few of the emotions that came up from these studies, but there's a lot more that I couldn't fit into this slide. So one was the element of shame. And this came up, and especially when they were comparing themselves to other friends or children in their classrooms. This was a 13-year-old girl, and she said, One time my friends came over. There wasn't anything in the refrigerator or the pantry. Their parents make money. Their parents have a good education. Their fridge is always full. And they came over, and there was nothing in the fridge. Another theme that came up for the child interviews is that of feeling alienated or feeling isolated from their family. Um, and for the, for the parents, we heard that this, you know, they didn't want to talk to their friends about it. Um, but in the children's case, they didn't want to talk to their parents about it because they felt their parents were already so burdened with things. So this was a 13-year-old boy, and he said... 
there's not a lot of people who are going through similar things around here. I don't feel like I can talk to my mom or dad about this because they're probably going through much worse than I am. I consider myself a little bit lonely in this situation. And then finally was this theme of sadness or depression. And we heard this across several of the children's interviews. This was a 13-year-old boy, and he said, If the food runs out, I get sad a bit, just sad. The kind of sad where you want to try to be happy, but you know that inside you're sad about it. So from these interviews, we heard so many dimensions of psychological distress of food insecurity. Not just stress, but all these other elements of shame, of alienation, of sadness, depression, fear. Um, and that led us to think, how, how pervasive are these experiences? Do these apply to other populations too? And so that led us to our, our study of college students. And so in 2016, when the GFI report came out that 42% of UC students had experienced food insecurity at some point over the past year, I think many of us, even those who study food insecurity, were shocked that this number was so high. And, it, and then the population at UC Berkeley became a natural um, group to study in terms of how does food insecurity affect their health and their academic performance. And college students are a very unique group. At this stage, they have... They have very, um, they're going through some academic pressures and social pressures for the first time. They're managing their food and their financial resources for the first time. Maybe some uh, colleges don't have a grocery store nearby, and so they don't have good access to healthy food. But more importantly, education contributes to um, one's upward social mobility. And so if you're food insecure at this critical life stage, how does that then impact your lifelong risk of chronic disease as well as your future economic potential? Um, and for this study, I also want to acknowledge uh, Anthony Mesa, who is an undergrad, who was an undergraduate student at UC Berkeley, who worked tirelessly to collect all of the data that I'm about to show you. So, in this study, we interviewed 23 uh, students that w had received food at any point from the UC Berkeley food pantry. Um, we conducted in-depth, semi-structured interviews, very similar to the previous study. Um, and using the same methods for qualitative analysis. The average age of the students was 22.5. We had um, a good mix of men and women in the study, a very racially and ethnically diverse sample, and also, again, a very food insecure sample. Now, although we uh, also collected data on their physical health and their academic performance, I'm gonna just highlight some of the findings on mental health today, because that's the focus of this talk. So again, from the students, we heard that being food insecure impacted their level of sadness and depression. They felt shame and embarrassment. They felt anger and frustration. But we also heard more prominently some of these other themes that came up that were unique to the college situation. So one was fear. Fear that they would not be able to perform well academically. Fear that they wouldn't be able to participate in a normal social life. Fear of disappointing their parents. And so this undergraduate student said, I was scared to let my parents know what was going on because I don't want them to worry. They're pretty old now, and if they knew about it, they would work even harder. They have a lot of hope in me because they were new to this country, and I'm the only one going to college. I didn't want to look like a failure to them because I don't have enough to eat here. Another theme that came up 
that uh, was fairly prominent was this of social isolation. And I think in a college environment, you're expected to meet lots of people, make lots of friends, and participate in these social gatherings to really expand your social network. So this student said, when you aren't able to afford food, in some cases you have to lie. You have to say, oh no, I've already eaten, or I'm not hungry. It becomes a situation where if you lie once, twice, maybe three times, then you have to keep doing it. Maybe that suspicion is going to strain the relationship. The most terrible thing about food insecurity is that it really prevents one from developing positive and open relationships with people within different socioeconomic statuses. And then the final quote that I'll share with you reflects this jealousy, this bitterness, but also so many of these other dimensions that we heard from food insecurity. And I thought it was a very poignant example of the experience of college students who are going through this. So just to conclude, the results of these projects have shown that there's a, really, there's a unique sense of stress that's specific to food insecurity that's not related to any of the other insecurities or poverty or being of low socioeconomic status. There's common elements that we heard across all of the populations that include fear, anger, isolation, anxiety, powerlessness, depression, and shame. And there's also... Um, unique elements that, are, that were different for the different populations that we studied depending on their age and their life stage. Now it's been argued that poverty and discrimination and ACEs are a form of toxic stress. So um, this figure on the right, which is from the Center on the Developing Child from Harvard, shows that toxic stress happens when you have a prolonged and a chronic stressor and there's not a good adequate coping mechanism. And toxic stress changes children's cognitive development, changes adults' cognitive function, and increases the risk of chronic disease later on in life. And the results of the studies that I've been working on has led me to think that food insecurity is another form of toxic stress. That it's not just stressful that people worry that their food's going to run out, but there is this complicated um, web of other psychological um, distressful emotions that accompany being food insecure that affect all the way from um, your feelings about yourself, your family, and your own self-worth. So in terms of what we can do about this, I hope that we can continue to strengthen and support our strong network of food, um, our programs and policies that address food insecurity, but also highlight the needs of the lived experiences of people who are food insecure so that more people are aware of what, what being food insecure really means and feels like. And hopefully then we can develop better interventions, better policies to address food insecurity from a more holistic standpoint. Oh, thank you very much for having me and for to the collaborators. Hi, that was really wonderful talk. Um, I was curious about what's known about the trajectory of children who undergo food insecurity and like disordered eating later in life. Um, developing different relationships with food as a result of maybe the stress or just the food insecurity in general? 
So that's a, that's a really good question. Um, what is the lifelong trajectory of children who are food insecure? Um, unfortunately, I don't think we have a good answer because we don't have the data that allows us to answer that question. So a lot of um, studies are short-term. They study children th- for several years during childhood, but there's no follow-up later on in life to see how they're doing. Um, similarly, we have good studies of adults, but not a great measure of retrospective or childhood food insecurity. So from the data that we have, it's, it's hard to understand, but um, I think... Dr. Apple and Dr. Lariah's National Growth and Health Study is one of those studies that will hopefully help us answer that question because that's a study that followed children from when they were 10 to 19, and now they're assessing them as adults, and we can really look at these lifelong trajectories of experiencing poverty or food insecurity as a child and their adult outcomes on dietary intake, BMI, psychological outcomes, and so forth. So hopefully we'll get an answer soon. Hi. I was wondering, do you all take into consideration how these people that you're studying um, budget their money? Because I've been working with patients that are low income for 10 plus years, and I've always found it really interesting how they have better electronic devices or purses or material things that I actually own. And so I'm just wondering if that's been taken a look at are they just not budgeting their money correctly, or how can they afford these other material things, but they can't afford food? But I've also worked in areas where there are, um, there's grocery stores with very cheap fruits and vegetables in low-income areas all throughout California, mm-hmm. from San Francisco down. I used to work in the WIC program, too, so just something to think about. So the idea of budgeting did come up in a, in a lot of her parent interviews. Um, actually, one parent really talked about how she overcame food insecurity by learning how to budget her money. Um, but that was sort of a more extreme example. The other families that we talked to, they had really elaborate um, mechanisms to budget for food. And so they would scour the Internet. The, they would use all the resources available to try to get the best discounts for food. And they kept all of this information in their head about, you know, which days do I go to which store to buy which foods which, because they're the best deals. Um, and one of the parents I thought put it really nicely. She said, I think about food every day. It's the first thing I think about when I wake up. What do I feed my kids? How am I going to put food on the table? But for other things like their cable bill or their phone bill or even their rent, um, that's a once-in-a-month once thought. And so um, I think we need to be aware that food insecure families, they, they hold a lot in their heads about all of the resources that they have to manage. Um, and sometimes, you know, food insecure families, they feel deprived, their children are deprived of things, and so they want to give them, give their children things that give them a sense of normalcy. We had one family in Berkeley whose children were in a ton of after-school programs and sports classes and gymnastics and all these things, but they would go to the pantry to get food. And the, and the mom said, well, I really want to make sure my kids have a normal childhood. And so, you know, we stand in the line to get donations every Tuesday morning, but my children participate in all these activities to help them with a scholarship so that they can at least be with them. You've been listening to a podcast by University of California Television. For more information about this program or UCTV, visit us online at uctv.tv.